he made a molten sea, ten cubits from the one brim to the other. It was round all about, and his height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits did encompass it round about. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Jumped on the shelters to get away. The boys are cocking up their guns. Tell us, General, is it party time? If it is, can we all come? Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History a survey created by the Geeked Out History folks at ORHistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindbergh, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. Kick-Ass Oregon History is a presentation of ORHistory.com and is supported by listeners like you. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit ORHistory.com and click Donate. Here at Kick-Ass Oregon History, we really enjoy coming across a story from Oregon's past that we haven't really thought much about before. And some of these stories are recommended to us by our listeners on the Facebook, the Twitter, or the Instagram machines. Case in point, in January, Tessa Watson asked us on the Twitter machine, I want you to do a story on why the engraved pie in the Max Zoo station is wrong after the first few digits. Why? We decided to look into that request of Tessa's, and a very interesting story developed. March 14th is Pi Day, a play on the 3.14 beginning digits of the irrational number Pi. Pi Day allows geeks to get together and celebrate some super geeky shit. Oh, and eat some pie, too. To start off our inquest into Tessa's query, we spoke with Andrea Damewood, food critic for the Portland Mercury, about the other kind of pie. You know, the baked dish kind, filled with fruit, meat, or vegetables, and often found with a bottom and a top of flaky pastry. Sitting outside of Loretta Jean's on Southeast Division, munching on a few delicious slices, we asked her why pie and pie are Portland as fuck. So tell me this, is Portland known as a pie town? Well, I don't think that the first thing that anybody thinks of when they come to Portland is, I'm going to get pie in Portland, but we do have a really good pie scene, I'd say. Um, you know, it's one of those kind of foods that we do well, kind of old-timey, can be, you know, made with local ingredients. I mean, the Marion Berry, for example, is a classic pie here, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's a solid pie town. So name me some good pie spots in Portland. Well, we're sitting in front of Loretta Jean's on Division, and that is probably my favorite place to get pie in the entire city. My favorite single slice of pie, though, is at Papa Hayden, and they have this banana cream pie that has a layer of chocolate at the bottom over like a shortbread crust, and like, 
kills me. And then Random Order on Alberta is great. I mean, you could go on from there. So I said, hey, let's go get the best pie in Portland. And you directed me down here to Division Street. Why is the pie that we're enjoying, which was fantastic, by the way. Why is this the best pie in Portland? What, do you, what qualities of this pie do you really appreciate? I think they do a really great job with the crust. It's thick, but it's um, still really flaky, and but it's got a solid bite to it. A lot of the times you're going to wind up with a pie that's too doughy, um, tilt down in the pearl and on Swan Island. I haven't been to the one on Swan Island, but the tilt in the pearl has a ton of pie, but every time I've tried it, it's been doughy at the bottom. Um, between that and sort of paying attention to details, like I had the honey pie today and it had some salt on it that was super great, um, you know, just really brought that out. Um, they just do it right here. They know it's up. So Pie Day, Portland and Pie Day. Tell me, do you think there is a, a special Portland connection to Pie Day? Totally. I mean, we're super into our food and our pie, and you can nerd out and make like whatever kind of, you know, artisanal lard, local lard crust pie with local berries and, you know, sugar that you mined from yourself on a trip to Cuba. I don't really know. Um, but on top of that, we're pretty nerdy here. So, I mean, the mathematical aspect joining with like our foodie aspect is, uh, it's pretty epic for Portland, I think. I've seen people make tons of pies with the pie symbol on top of it for Pie Day. So, let us discuss the other pie. We spoke with Mike Bedley, a mathematics teacher at St. Mary's Academy in downtown Portland. So, Mike, what is pie? Pie is a number that never ends. It came up because they were looking at what is the ratio of the circumference of a circle to its diameter. And now there's this great fascination because they're trying to figure out none of these numbers repeat. And that just makes it wildly exciting in the world of math. So how does one use pie? Um, I, it's used a lot whenever you're dealing with something that's circular. So not just circles as in like 2D shapes, but 3D shapes, or if you're looking at things that have a cyclic pattern, meaning they keep repeating over and over and over. So think of like a sound wave and how it will go up and down, or even um, seismologists and, and those little Richter scales that are whipping back and forth. Um, anything that has that repeating pattern can be traced back to trigonometry, sine and cosine, which heavily uses pi. I don't want to go super, super math nerdy on you, but I'd love to. Please, so, please do. Okay, so it um, largely you first get introduced with just here's a circle, here's how to find all of its, you know, its area and circumference. But then when you start to get into sine and cosine, it helps with predictions, modeling, um, different scenarios. So um, you'd be able to say, take a, a piece of gum that you ride over with your bike tire. If you're watching your tire as it keeps going forward and forward and forward, it doesn't actually make a circle. It just keeps going up and down and up and down. And pi comes into play when you're talking about radians of a circle. So now I'm going super nerdy on you, so bear with me. So I'm Nerdier than gum on a tire. Yeah, so, right. So, well, yeah. I was trying to slip it in. It's very yeah. Portland-esque, exactly. right? Portland nerdy. Yeah. So, um, so when you have a radian of a circle, that means if you took the radius of a circle, ripped it off and stretched it around the outside of a circle. So that's what a radian length is. So without going into too many specifics, that is used when you're trying to model the speed or how fast for per revolution of, a, uh, of your tire, those sorts of things. So 
obviously uh, pi is infinite, but can you read a few uh, numbers of pi to oh, us? Okay, so the ones that I know for sure, 3.14159, and I wrote down that there could be more, but for me, I, I feel like I'm, I'm that hardcore. There's other mathematicians that devote so much time and energy into it, and God bless them. And I looked up and found out that the Guinness Book of World Records, the, like the most recorded memorizations, they took it out to 67,890 digits. Wow. Took them 24 hours and four minutes, and that's in 2005. Now, see, I would say to that boy, that that person needs a hobby, but it's obviously the it's obviously they have a hobby. That's right, yeah. and and that's good. I'm glad that there are people out there like that that want to do that. I'm just gonna cheerlead them on the side, but it's just not for me, you know. Pi, as an identifiable number, has been around for nearly 4,000 years. In addition to our opening biblical passage from 1 Kings that started this episode, ancient Babylonians referred to Pi in tablets from 1900 through 1680 before current era. The Egyptians also demonstrated a knowledge of Pi from roughly the same era in the Rhind Papyrus. These early attempts to quantify pi were somewhat incorrect, but certainly in the right ballpark for approximating pi. The granddaddy of the pink people's pie, or of European heritage, was from a man who was honestly much better known for his many other exploits and accomplishments. From the third century BCE, Archimedes of Syracuse on the island of Sicily was a weird fucking dude. Syracuse was strategically located between Roman forces and other opposing soldiers from Carthage. Syracuse was in the unenviable position of the middle. In 214 BCE, led by a general Marcellus, 60 ships filled with Roman legions sailed to Syracuse. The city had formed an alliance with Carthage and Marcellus was not fucking around. But. Neither was Archimedes, the scribbler of Pi. Oh no, Archimedes was not fucking around. He built fabulous war machines to defend the city from Marcellus's Roman assault. The machines were almost fun little projects for Archimedes to produce, something to help entertain the masses, a simple demonstration of possible theoretical deliberations. These machines Archimedes had designed and contrived not as matters of any importance, but as mere amusements in geometry. Some say Archimedes and his creations single-handedly defended Syracuse. He fabricated giant lenses that directed the sun onto the Roman ships. He used pulleys to shoot massive beams of wood at the ships, harvesting huge holes in their hulls. Archimedes' war machines were able to hold the Romans literally offshore for about two years.
Polybius, the historian, not the crazy video game that made kids puke in Portland in 1981, wrote about the battle and siege of Syracuse. Other machines invented by Archimedes were directed against the assault parties as they advanced under the shelter of screens which protected them against the missiles shot through the walls. Against these attackers, the machines could discharge stones heavy enough to drive back the marines from the bows of the ships. At the same time, a grappling iron attached to a chain would be let down, and with this, the man controlling the beam would clutch at the ship. As soon as the prow was securely gripped, the lever of the machine inside the wall would be pressed down. When the operator had lifted up the ship's prow in this way and made her stand on her stern, he made fast the lower parts of the machine so that they could not move, and finally, by means of a rope and pulley, suddenly slackened the gripping iron and the chain. The result was that some of the vessels heeled over and fell on their sides, and others capsized, while the majority, when their bows were let fall from a height, plunged underwater and filled, and thus threw all into confusion. Marcellus's operations were thus completely frustrated by those inventions of Archimedes, and when he saw that the garrison not only repulsed his attacks with heavy losses, but also laughed at his efforts, he took his defeat hard. Eventually, the Romans broke through the well-engineered defenses and stormed Syracuse. Archimedes was reportedly killed by a Roman soldier in the looting of Syracuse whilst attempting to save some mathematical problems he had drawn in the dirt. Don't disturb my circles! Legend has preserved his last words. In Valerius Maximus's account of the cause of death of Archimedes, the historian writes that at the capture of Syracuse, Marcellus had been aware that his victory had been held up much and long by Archimedes' machines. However, pleased with the man's exceptional skill, he gave out that his life was to be spared, putting almost as much glory in saving Archimedes as in crushing Syracuse. But as Archimedes was drawing diagrams with mind and eyes fixed at the ground, a soldier who had broken into the house in quest of loot with sword drawn over his head asked him who he was. Too much absorbed in tracking down his objective, Archimedes could not give his name, but said, protecting the dust with his hands, I beg you, don't disturb this and was slaughtered as neglectful of the victor's command. With his blood, he confused the lines of his art. That is the backstory behind Pi, a backstory of one of the many stories connected to this little number we sanctify with a day all its own. So, besides a tenuous connection between an ancient historian and an NSA-engineered video game, what is the Oregon significance of pie?
Portland, of course, has a real and very deep connection with Pi. TriMet's West Side Max system, the Blue Line extension, was started in 1993. Connecting Beaverton and Hillsboro with downtown Portland, the Blue Line project would require two separate three-mile tunnels underneath the West Hills of Portland. Each tunnel would have a diameter of 19 feet. In September of 1998, the Blue Line was opened. 260 feet below the surface of Portland is the deepest public transportation station in the United States. The Washington Park Station has become a destination in of itself. To access the station platform, you can ride hundreds of feet down in a fancy elevator in just 21 seconds. And shrouding this deep underground tunnel is an amazing public art and public history display. A timeline in granite runs along the platform. At the center is an almost 300-foot geologic core sample that is enclosed in a glass tube, so you can see it. The core came from the tunnel's design phase, and the artist, Bill Will, used this core as a center for a history of the geology of this specific space. The display looks back through 16 million years, roughly the age of the rock right below the platform. The timeline offers various advancements in human evolution. Visual imagery of mathematical conundrums are present. One of these is a representation of the digits of pi. Now, back to Tessa's original question, because it seems that the pie depicted at the Mac station is not an accurate representation of actual pie. <laughs> pie is accepted as being quantified as 3.141592. Six five three five eight nine seven nine three two three, and onward. But in the Washington Park Station, pi is depicted as three point one four one five nine two six five three five eight two one four eight zero eight. Some have said that the divergence was noticed pretty early on in the installation by a TriMet engineer who'd remembered pi out to 12 places. It seems rather silly, one might even say weird, to have an incorrect pi in the deepest public art found in the City of Roses. There are a few internet sleuths that have offered some speculation as to the cause of the discrepancy. Mark Cohen wrote a piece on the pie called Underground Pie with Oregonians for Rationality. He says that a TriMed official stated that public artist Bill Will obtained his pie number sequence from a book called The History of Pie. Cohen maintains that Will didn't understand the format of mathematical tables that the book used. His theory is that the number sequence was copied incorrectly. Cohen suspects that Will used a correct mathematical table a listing of 10 blocks of digits, 
each block of 10 digits wide and 10 digits high. Picture a very full Excel spreadsheet. However, it appears that the artist may have read the table incorrectly, using only the first block of 10 by 10 numbers, rather than reading across all 10 columns left to right. TriMet customer service, it seems, has a canned response about the incorrect pie. The artist is not a mathematician and mistakenly took selected pages from a book of pie, resulting in the error. His concept was to intentionally depart from the standard kinds of timeline facts, and the pie was one among many pieces of somewhat random and quirky pieces of information intended to give a sense of scale to geologic time. I hope you were able to enjoy the piece despite the error and appreciate you taking the time to write. But the public art that we see could have been quite a bit different and possibly pie error free. After a request from public records at TriMet, the resident historian was able to peruse the proposals that didn't get accepted. These 1995 proposals offered some tantalizing possibilities beyond one including a fucked up pie. Excellent opportunity to provide a cultural exchange between the Hispanic community and the community at large. My art will help bridge the cultural separation and bring the community together through the appreciation and understanding of the history. Scattered over the full length of the wall, I could attach words in bronze lettering slightly floating off the surface of the wall. These would be I would be interested in producing a mural which upon first glance impacts the viewer with stylized images of Hillsborough landmarks and larger-than-life characterizations of the people who live there. The, the experience of arriving in this train station would be a joy. Gas Oregon history version would be closer to tater tots and a pint of beer, but that's just us. So what does it matter if the depiction of pie we see etched on a train platform wall hundreds of feet into the earth, what does it matter if it's wrong after the first 11 digits? So again, um, we're sitting here at St. Mary's, but I brought along a photo of the tunnel uh, underneath the zoo that has Pi incorrect. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it, it's been etched in incorrectly. What would happen if somebody was using an incorrect notation of Pi? What's, is the world going to explode? What's, what's going to happen to their work? I think a little bit of math souls around the world might die a little, but I would say, you know, in their work, it really depends on how they're using it. So in science, um, like taking it out to 40 decimal digits would probably be as accurate as you need to be. 
um, most times it's probably going to be a little bit less. And so when you're using pi, you usually do not reference it as the decimal. You would just use this symbol for it instead and then use your manipulations through that way. So I don't know it's going to wreck the whole world, but I imagine if you really want accuracy, then it will matter. And ultimately what we get is a little unique Portland weirdness uh, within our mass transit system. That's right. Yeah. I the was, city that so loved Pi that they put it somewhere and yet it's wrong. That's right. And I, I mean, I wonder if you were just able to read it and then at what point in time the listeners would say, okay, that number is wrong and just wondering how, how many people out there that would be. Well, that person who read it out in the Guinness Book of World Records to 68,000 points, they would obviously, right off the bat, you I, wouldn't even need to waste an hour. That's right. And you know, I'm sure when this was made, if that person was alive, there was a single teardrop that probably rolled off of their eye as they were just thinking, oh, I can't believe they got it wrong. But that's okay. Well, thanks so much for chatting with us today, Mike. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. In the process of researching this podcast, we contacted Bill Will, the artist of the display. While initially receptive to entertaining an interview, he later said he didn't want to speak on the record. But looking at the design of the entire tunnel, it would seem uncharacteristic of the artists to not have planned every detail literally etched in granite. We hope Mr. Will will one day come on record and share his story of Pi. Celebrating a number always felt kind of fucking weird to me. Like too forced and shit. I love the baked dish filled with fruit and meat kind of pie. But as I dug into this topic, I saw that the Portland connections that we have made with this irrational number are kind of substantial. Archimedes was a weird fucking dude. He ran naked through the streets of Syracuse yelling, Eureka! After he had discovered the solution to a problem he was working on, while he was taking a bath. There was this super tenuous at best simile of the great historian Polybius in the NSA-run video game. And we would be remiss not to give at least the briefest recollection of up all night, 3 a.m. mornings at Quality Pie. And when you're down, you're down. And of course, the error or just flew over your head joke of the pie in the deepest train station on the continent is with Portland, likely forever. So if you want to celebrate an irrational number on a specific March day, you go right ahead. We're glad that you're that geek the fuck out. But also know that in honoring some measurement of a circle, you're also serving up a hot little slice of Portland life. And we can certainly and enthusiastically bite into that piece of pie. Happy Pie Day from Kick-Ass Oregon History. Listening, ass kickers, and be on the lookout for future podcasts from orhistory.com. We hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kate Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. 
Kick-Ass Oregon History is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Follow us on Instagram at Kick-Ass Oregon History. We're also on the Facebook. The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more Kick-Ass Oregon History in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more at orhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Ken Crispin, or they're liable to lose your luggage, and you'll have to record an episode on your iPhone, like I did. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. orhistory.com